Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not, not, do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that all things, work, that, that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For whom, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's welcome Pastor Dave as he comes to preach to us today. Thank you, Ray. Good morning, everyone. That was a better welcome than last week, so good job. Hey, there was once a man called Tom, and Tom went out to walk his dog one morning. Wait while I get the sound right. And as he was walking his dog, he saw a council worker who was busy digging holes. Obviously, his first day on the job because he was still working hard, making a good impression. <laughs> and, um, and he noticed that in every 10 metres or so, this council worker had, had dug a nice little hole. And as he worked further, further along, about 100 metres behind the first council worker, was a second council worker who also had a shovel who would scoop all the dirt back into the hole and stamp it all down. And Tom thought, typical luck. Why bother? Anyway, he kept walking all the way around the block as he was coming back nearly home, he passed the first council worker again, still busily digging holes every 10 metres. And then as he was nearly home, 
He passed the second council worker who was still shoveling all the dirt back into the hole and stamping it down. And Tom said to the council worker, he said, seriously, what is the point? You made up there, digs the holes, you fill them in, why bother? And Tom said, and so the council worker said, well, see, normally we're a team of three, but the guy who plants the trees is off sick today. See, sometimes things just don't work the way they should. And last week, if you were here, you'll recall that um, Ray preached to us from the middle of Romans chapter 8, and he talked to us how the system is broken, creation is groaning, because God created something perfect, and because mankind has uh, sinned against God, we've messed it all up, and it doesn't work the way it was designed to work. See, God has created an amazing world for us to live in. Our Earth is 149.6 million kilometres from the sun. If it was any closer or any further, there would be no life on Earth. It's just right. Our atmosphere has 21% oxygen. Just right. Any, any more or any less, no life on Earth. Our Earth is tilted on its axis at an angle of 23.5 degrees. Just right. Any more or any less, no life on Earth. See, this Earth was created absolutely perfect. It was designed in a beautiful, perfect way. But because mankind has turned away from God, the whole system doesn't work quite the way it should. But Ray taught us from the passage last week that the best is yet to come. As the people of God, as followers of Jesus, we have lots to look forward to. All is not lost because God is still God. Now, as I read Romans chapter 8, I'm reminded of Big Kev. Remember Big Kev from the TV ads a few years ago? He used to say, oh, I'm excited. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read Romans chapter 8, I get excited. And so I'm hoping today that I can explain and articulate and do justice to this passage so that you can share my excitement and my enthusiasm. First of all, we finished at verse 25 last week, so starting at verse 26, we read that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, some of you may not have a weakness, and that's nice for you, but for most of us, this is really good news, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Something to get excited about. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He intercedes for all the saints in accordance with God's will. That's something to be grateful for, something to be excited about. Verse 28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, you could break this down into four very short, very simple little phrases that I think are really powerful. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I'd like you all to say it with me. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Let's do it again and absorb the importance, the power of these words. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Excellent. There used to be a song called God is watching us from a distance. It's not true. Don't listen to it. It's rubbish, garbage. God is not some alien out there in space just looking over to see if Earth's still rotating. No, no, no. God is active. God is working. God is engaged. God is involved. God is actively working in all our circumstances, including our hardships, our sufferings, our persecutions. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us to give thanks in all circumstances, and that is because God is actively at work in all our circumstances. See, life can be difficult. We might be sick, lonely, can't pay the bills, 
Maybe the car breaks down. Maybe people treat us badly or whatever. But God still loves us and God is still actively at work for his purposes in our situation. Note the emphasis is on God. The things don't just work themselves out. God is constantly at work for good, regardless of the circumstances. The devil will try to destroy us. We make poor choices along the way, but God continues to work for good for those who love him. Now Luke chapter 19 verse 10 specifies that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So God doesn't ignore those people who do not love him, but there is definitely a special bond, a special connection, a special care for those people who have dedicated themselves to loving and serving and obeying God. And when God works, it is for his purposes. Now you may want a million dollars, but God might be more concerned with your witness to your workmates or with your care for the poor or for your spiritual growth. And God can and does work through even bad circumstances. If you're familiar with the book of Genesis, the last few chapters of Genesis, the last 12 chapters or so, the story of a young man named Joseph. Joseph, his brothers hated him. His brothers sold him as a slave and he was sent to a foreign land. And yet he was faithful to God. And so as a direct result of what his brothers did and his own faith in God, as time went on, he ended up being in a position where he could save his whole family from starvation in a famine as well as thousands of other people. And in Joseph's own words to his brothers at the end of the book, he said, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. And it can be the same in many different circumstances. Another obvious example is Jesus, his death on the cross, described in the book of Acts as the work of evil men, and yet most definitely part of God's eternal plan of salvation. People may have acted in an evil way, but God used it for good. And not just in the Bible. For us too, one of the most painful experiences of my life was just a little bit over three years ago now, uh, leaving my previous church. Now, I still to this day do not know why uh, some people did and acted the way they did, but I've got to be honest, my heart felt like it had been shredded into pieces and shoved through a, through a meat grinder. But now, with the benefit of hindsight, I am convinced that God was still in control, that God was still working things out. And in hindsight, I have been truly blessed being at Follow. And um, recently I hear that other, other churches also turned the corner and on the way up. So God is at work, God is in control, and God does good. Verse 29 says, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Those God foreknew means that God knew in advance what would happen. Now, this whole concept of predestination is a very complex issue, and it's, it's kind of weird to say I'm excited about this passage, even though it includes predestination and persecution and all these wonderful topics. But let's just talk briefly about predestination. Many people have spent many hours debating this, and I would never be so arrogant as to presume that I am the one with the answer. But just to briefly summarise, some people argue that it's all about God. God chose us. Whoever God chose will end up following him and there's nothing we can do about that. The critics of that theory would say that the Bible points out the fact that God does not want anyone to perish. God wants everyone to be saved. So therefore, why didn't God just choose everyone? Other people say it's all about us. We have a decision to make. We can choose to follow God or we can choose to live life our own way. Salvation is available for everyone, but it's all about 
our response. The critics of that theory would remind us that salvation is a free gift from God and not through anything that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So both arguments are valid. Both arguments can be supported by Scripture. That's another paradox. Two arguments that seem to be contradictory, but they are both true. See, people are dualistic. People, in our minds, it has to be either this or that. We can't quite cope with more, but God's ways are higher than our ways. Just one example of God's ways being higher and different than our ways is another story. This is not a true story, but another story of a man who was a faithful servant of God who was walking along a beach one day and he was, he was praying and, and God said to him, mate, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to grant you three wishes. And the guy was like, awesome. So he wished, said, first of all, I wish for the best house in the world. And straight away, there on the hill just up above the beach was this massive like Buckingham Palace, eat your heart out, kind of. This, this house was awesome and God handed him the deed to the house. And he's like, nice. And then secondly, he said, for my second wish, I wish for the best car in the world. And straight away, there was this like stretch limo, gold-plated Rolls Royce with just everything laid on, you know, spa in the back and everything, just unbelievable. And God handed him the keys and he's like, Nice. And his, for his third wish, he said, well, I need someone to share this with, so I wish for the best woman who ever lived. And there was Mother Teresa. <laughs> Not what he had in mind, but see, God looks at the heart, whereas we look at the outward appearance. So God's ways are higher than our ways. And I think it's fair to say that God is God, and I am not, and we're both pretty happy about that. So when this verse says that God foreknew, it means that he knew the end from the beginning. And this is not in dispute. God is God. God is all-knowing. God is eternal. Just look at how many prophecies in the Bible have already been fulfilled. And look at read the book of Revelation. God already knows what is going to happen in the future and in the last days. See, I believe that God knows who will choose him and who will reject him. But because, because God is eternal, he already knows the future. But however, in this moment, in this lifetime, I believe God is earnestly, diligently calling people to himself and hoping and wanting that all of us will serve him. Even the ones that he knows will ultimately reject him. See, God wants us all to be in heaven with him. God knows that if we reject him, we will not spend eternity with Jesus. We will spend eternity separated from God in a place without hope, without joy, without love, without peace, without comfort, in a place described as hell. And God loves us, so he does not want that to happen. He allowed his own son to die so that we would have an escape route, so that we would not have to suffer that eternity. He wants us all to follow him, even though he knows that some of us will choose not to. The best analogy I can think of is this. Most of you know that I follow Hawthorne in the AFL. And Hawthorne have a, a rivalry with Geelong. It's fair to say they hate us, and when it's a cutthroat final, we win, and most of the other times, they win. And uh, we don't like each other very much. And one Friday night, a few years ago, Hawthorne was playing Geelong. It was a really big game. Both teams were near the top of the ladder at the time. But I was at youth group, as I often am on a Friday night, and someone told me as we were having supper at youth group that Geelong was winning easily. They were about 50 points ahead, and I thought, Oh, well, never mind then. No, no, no use rushing home to see the end. 
So we packed up after youth group and everyone left and as I drove home in the car I heard that Hawthorne had caught up and hit the front and I thought, wow, this is, this is a victory for the ages. What an epic fight back. And then with about 10 seconds to go, Geelong got the ball and they kicked it into their forward line and Tom Hawkins took a mark and he went back for his kick and he kicked the ball and the siren sounded and it went through for a goal and Geelong had won. It's fair to say I was very disappointed. The next morning I got up and I wanted to watch the replay. I always recorded the footy on a Friday if I was at youth group. So I wanted to watch the replay because I was still curious to see how we had turned a 55-point deficit into a winning position in the last minute. I thought, that's a pretty epic performance. So I watched the game and it got to the last minute and it got to the final few seconds and I was desperately hoping that someone from Hawthorne would intercept or block or do something. But Tom Hawkins still took the mark. And then I was desperately hoping he'd miss the shot. But he still kicked the goal. And I think maybe God is like that. He already knows the end from the beginning and he knows some people are going to choose to reject him. But he is still desperately hoping that they will choose to put their faith in Jesus and receive the gift of salvation and eternal life. The fact that God wants us all to be saved is something to get us excited. Verse 30 says he calls us, and we can be excited about that. He also justifies us. That means that even though we are sinners, even though we are all guilty, we are justified through our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some people explain justified as meaning just as if I'd never sinned, or justified never sinned. Of course, we did sin. We all sin. We cannot change that. Only Jesus can justify us or cleanse us or reconcile us with God and take, that, take away our sin. So when we, give, when we give our lives to Jesus, we are justified by faith, just as if we had never sinned. Now, that's definitely something to get excited about. Then it says we will be glorified. His people will share his glory, his blessings, his heaven, eternal life. That's absolutely something to get excited about. And then verse 31 asks the rhetorical question, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now this doesn't suggest that people will never stand against God's people. In fact, we do know that uh, there are people in this world who hate God's people. The Bible says the things of God are foolishness to those who don't believe, and so they hate us, they ridicule us, they mock us. They will stand against us at every opportunity. But this verse is saying that nobody can ever successfully stand against God. So if we are on God's side doing God's work, then we are with God and we are on the winning side no matter how hard our opponents may try. Something to get excited about? Oh, I sure hope so. Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Last school term, uh, Luke and I and a couple of others, every Friday lunchtime, we went down to Officer Secondary College to help Jared run a, a mentoring program um, for some year nine boys. And it was, it was such a great, great term, a really bunch, great bunch of young guys, uh, just getting to know, to know them and hopefully having some influence in their lives. And one day we did an exercise where we all had to write down on pieces of paper the four most valuable things in our life. What do we value above everything else? It could be anything you wanted, just whatever was valuable to you. And it was interesting to hear some uh, year nine boys from non-Christian backgrounds to hear what they valued in life. Then we had to choose one of those four things to give back. 
And it was a, it was a hard choice. And again, it was very interesting hearing these young guys learning to prioritise and wrestling with what they wanted to keep and what they wanted to give up. And eventually, we had to give up everything except for one thing. They all had to, had to decide what was the one thing that they valued more than anything else in life. And I'd love you to have a quick think. What is the most... What is the one most valuable thing in your life? And then ask yourself, would you be willing to give that up, to risk that, to sacrifice that for someone else? And if you did, if you paid the ultimate price, gave up the one thing you value more than anything for, you know, the box, would you then abandon the box that you just sold everything for? Of course not. That would be ridiculous. See, God has already given up his own son for our sake. So it's absurd to think that God would then withhold his love, his blessings, his gifts from us when he's already paid the ultimate price for us. So if you're a Christian, then God is for you and in you and with you and you will share in all his gifts. Now that is definitely something to get excited about. Verse 33, another rhetorical question, says, the NLT version, I really like, says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with him. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Now again, people may try to accuse us, people may try to uh, condemn us. Satan is called the accuser and he will most definitely whisper in your ear. He will try to remind you of your past and you should remind him of his future. <laughs> but if you have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, if you have been justified by faith, if you have been made right with God, then no accusation against you will ever stick because Jesus has already taken away and paid the punishment for you. Now, believe it or not, that is something that we really should be excited about. Verse 30, thank you. Finally, we're getting there. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? The answer is no. And Paul even lists a few examples. Trouble, hunger, danger, persecution. Persecution is not something we've had to worry about in Australia uh, for a few years. Um, Western civilization is built on a foundation of Christianity, Christian values. That is our bedrock. has been for um, a couple of hundred years now, and, and probably until recently. But persecution of Christians has been prevalent throughout history, from the time of Nero, the uh, emperor, uh, in the time that much of the New Testament was written, uh, through communist Russia, uh, to China and the Middle East, and uh, other places even today. In China, right now, churches are being closed, Bibles are burned, People are forced to announce their faith. Here are some facts, some facts, documented facts about the persecution of Christians. During the 20th century, at least 26 million people were killed for their faith in Christ. Some people say the real figure is closer to 45 million. But even 26 million is more than the previous 19 centuries combined. Persecution of Christianity is not a first century thing. It's very real in the world today. In the world today, every month, on average, 322 Christians are killed for their faith in Christ. 214 churches or Christian properties are destroyed. 772 acts of violence are committed against Christians. 
Now, people of many religions face persecution, but, but Christianity more than any other faith group. In the year 2014, there were reports of Christian persecution in 108 different countries. And maybe you're noticing that it's becoming more and more challenging, even in our culture, in our society now, to be a Christian. You're welcome to be nice, but you're not so welcome to talk about Jesus or have Bible-based opinions. Children are taught that we evolved by chance from slugs, when in reality they were specially designed by Almighty God. Children are taught all sorts of confusing and unbiblical things about gender and sexuality. Our government has legalised sin and the murder of innocent unborn children. Having a Bible-based opinion is becoming less and less acceptable in our society. It's increasingly difficult to be a practising, Bible-believing Christian in our culture. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all kinds of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. So I don't know if I'm excited about the persecution, but I sure am excited about the, the rewards in heaven. That sounds out of this world. So that is something to be excited about. And it's also worth noting that history shows History has proven over and over again that the church of God will thrive under persecution. When people have to take their faith seriously, God blesses them and their witness is remarkable and the church will actually grow under persecution. As Christian musician Dana Key once said, I'm not praying for persecution, but I am praying for revival. And sometimes one leads to the other. Verse 37 says, Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Again, that's the NLT version, but I love that phrase, overwhelming victory. This is not a one-point win that some people think was a fluke. This is not like the grand final where it could have gone either way and a week later people are still arguing about one umpire decision. This is not like a one-seat majority in Parliament. This is a big win, a decisive, undeniable, convincing, absolute, total, overwhelming victory. Yes, worth getting excited about. Fantastic. Then, the final section, which really speaks for itself. Paul writes, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Notice he says, I am convinced. Not, I hope, or I suspect, or I'm pretty sure. No, or I predict. He says, I am convinced. You know, some predictions, they're like really ridiculous. Um, a few years ago, there was that global warming scaremonger who said it was never going to rain again, like, and then next minute, you know, floods everywhere, like, epic fail. Um, the Letter of Romans, this book was written in AD 57. That's 1,961 years ago. That's over 716,000 days. 17 million hours. More than a billion minutes. Now, I know billion is like a massive number we can't truly comprehend. Let me just explain how big a billion is. If you had a loan of a billion dollars, if you paid $1,000 a week, every week it would take you 20,000 years to pay off that debt before the interest. So that's a massive amount of money, and we know in Victoria because we paid that much not to build a road. So you know. <laughs> Anyway, um, but in all of those 1,961 years, no one has ever proven this verse wrong. And also bear in mind that Paul is not speaking hypothetically. When Paul talks about hardship and hunger and poverty and sickness and persecution, 
He speaks from experience. He experienced every single one of those things in his life. He writes with authority, with conviction, with integrity. He's, he's been there and he knows for a fact. He is convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. So to summarise, the who, the what and the why of Romans chapter 8. Who is this passage for? The people of God, the followers of Jesus, those of us who have chosen, chosen to put our faith in Jesus. What does this passage tell us? It tells us, if you belong to Christ, you are no longer condemned. If you are a child of God, the Spirit of God lives in you. If you are his child, you are heirs of God's glory. If you believe, you can eagerly look forward to the day when God will give us new bodies. God will give you full rights as his adopted children. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. If you love God, he works for good in all your circumstances. God gives his children right standing with him. God is with us. God gives us everything. Nobody can accuse us or condemn us. Jesus died for us. Jesus was raised to life for us. Jesus pleads our case for us. We have overwhelming victory through Christ and nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Don't know about you, I'm, I'm excited. Yes. <laughs> and all of these promises are true for the people of God. The implication is clear that if you are not a child of God, if you are not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, then these promises do not yet apply to you. But there's still time. So I have a question. If you are not a follower of Jesus, can I just ask, why not? Serious question. So why is this chapter here? To encourage us, to comfort us, to reassure us, to remind us of God's promises, God's love, God's faithfulness regardless of our circumstances, and hopefully to get us excited about God, about his word, about his love, about his promises, and about all the things that he has in store for those of us who believe. I'm excited. Praise God. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.